Welcome to Teach Me Sentai, a podcast where we're taking a look back at the Power Rangers and the Japanese series that gave it its inspiration and footage, Super Sentai. I'm Natalie Bridgman. And I'm John McDonough. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash teachmesentai if you so desire. So John, what is on the docket today? It is part two of our book club. So this is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers issues 13 through 24, GoGo Power Rangers issues 1 through 8. It's year two of this Boom Studios story. So it's volumes four through six of Mighty Morphin 1 and 2 of GoGo if you like a collection. And using some person from the internet's advice, we read volume four, five, then volume one of GoGo Power Rangers, then six, then too but honestly read it however feels right to you just read the issues in order and you'll have a good time yeah and i think we did have a good time reading these for sure yeah i continue to love this book club and these books and us doing it right now yeah and by the way if you want to read along with us without spending a cent almost all of this is available through your library especially if you have access to a digital service like hoopla i would talk to your librarian Yeah, they can definitely point you into the right direction for some great resources. And plus, there's a bunch of other stuff on those resources as well. Like, why do we even buy books? I don't know. Just go to the library. Libraries. Libraries. (laughs) But I guess almost more so than any other episode we've ever done, we should talk about what's already happened (laughs) in this series. Because we're kind of jumping into the second part of one story and definitely an ongoing continuity. Yeah, and it's quite different than what's going on in Power Rangers right now. So basics we're in like an alternate version where largely the same thing happens except for they happened in the late 2010s 2020 mm-hmm. all of our friends green with evil happens and then a visitor from another dimension convinces rita to do some shenanigans with a magic crystal boom bang command center got destroyed Zordon's missing and Billy and Tommy have been sucked into this person's other dimension and this is Lord Dracon. Natalie, tell us what we know about him. Lord Dracon, as we discover, is a older evil version of Tommy. Like, if Tommy was like, oh, I'm not the Green Ranger under a spell, but I'm just going to choose this for my life. Yeah, evil still sounds good to me. Yeah, and he does so with a certain degree of zealotry, I would say. Yes, so that is where we are picking up. Billy and Tommy have just discovered this truth for themselves and are stuck in this other dimension timeline place. And the other four rangers, who can only currently morph because of Tommy's green green ranger powers, are trying to find a way to get them back without Zordon or Alpha there to help them. Well, so we get this really fun thing where they're all green, but they're definitely their rangers. Like, that's really fun. We love that, and it keeps going in this for a little bit. So we're going to pick up there. We're going to take you through a very, very brief sentence of what happens in every issue, and then we're going to kind of go all over the place and talk about it. So shall we do it? Yeah, let's get to it. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Volume 4. This series, unless noted, is written by Kyle Higgins, illustrated by Hendry Presetia, colors by Matt Hearns, and letters by Ed Dukeshire. We didn't mention him last episode, but the covers are by Jamal Campbell, and they're great. Issue 13, Billy and Tommy learn more about Lord Dracon's universe while he prepares an attack. Meanwhile, Finster lures the rest of the team into a trap. Issue 14, the Rangers in both timelines struggle to overcome an ambush and fail. Issue 15, this one has a guest artist, Daniel Bayliss. Unstuck from time, Zordon witnesses the fall of Dracon's world and doubles down on his belief in his rangers. Issue 16, Billy and Trini outsmart Dracon and Rita and return the team to their rightful dimension. And the ongoing misadventures of Squat and Babu. This is all written by Ryan Ferrier, illustrated by Bachan. Colors by Triona Farrell and letters by Jim Campbell. In this part, Babu invents an interdimensional transporter and accidentally sends him and Squat traveling through the multiverse. On their first stop, they try and fail to be heroes. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Volume 5, Issue 17. With Rita mysteriously absent, the Rangers have time to help the people of the world and draw the attention of a billionaire genius... Grace Sterling. Issue 18, Matt Herm shares coloring credit for the next two issues with Joanna LaFuente. Using Grace's intel, the Rangers find Finster in a secret village filled with monsters. After they capture him, Grace suggests her company and the Rangers form a partnership. Issue 19, the Rangers face down Finster's latest threat, monsters disguised as humans hidden all over the globe. And issue 20, Gasardis, it's a multiple of five, illustrated by Daniela DiNicuolo and colored by Walter Baimonte. In 1969, Grace Sterling and four other exceptional adults were chosen to become Power Rangers and fight Psycho Green on the moon. They succeeded, but only two made it home. 
The Ongoing Misadventures of Squat and Babu, Part 2. Same team as Part 1. Squat and Babu end up in a universe where everyone, including them, are Zords. They mistake the local populace for bad guys and narrowly escape death when the Megazord shows up to defend its community. Go Go Power Rangers Volume 1. This series is written by Ryan Parrott, illustrated by Dan Mora, colors are by Raul Angolo, and lettered by our old pal Ed Dukeshire. Issue 1. Immediately after receiving their powers, the rangers adjust to their strange new lives and stage a rescue mission for the astronauts that freed Rita. Issue 2. Kimberly struggles to maintain her relationship with boyfriend Matthew while the others test the limits of their powers and tech. Issue 3. The teens take part in Angel Day, an effort to clean up from Rita's attack, but find being a Power Ranger more destructive to their personal lives than they imagined. And issue four, the rangers defeat Rita's latest monster and the town regains its morale because of their new heroes. But in the mayhem, Matthew is replaced by a putty in disguise. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Volume 6. We have a new regular art team on this book. Pencils are by Jonas Scharf and colors are by Joanna LaFuente. Issue 21, Grace shows the rangers Prometheus tech and they work together to kill a monster with nine lives. Issue 22, Zordon returns and against his wishes, the rangers decide to work with Promethea. Issue 23, the team learns about Grace's less than noble methods, including her secret captive, Lord Dracon. Issue 24, though the rangers and Grace are able to finish off the rest of Finster's hidden monsters, their alliance is shattered due to the secret of Lord Dracon. Saba goes to handle the situation on his own and inadvertently creates an opening for Dracon to destroy him and escape. And the ongoing misadventures of Squat and Babu Part 3, the duo finds themselves in a universe where they are supreme overlords, but their joy is short-lived because a more capable version of our hapless henchmen sends them back to their original dimension. Go Go Power Rangers Volume 2, Issue 5. With homecoming approaching, Putty Matt tries to weasel into the group, and Jason gets worried his teammates aren't taking their duty seriously. Issue 6. Zack becomes more suspicious of Matt, while Billy wonders if being a Power Ranger is right for him. Issue 7. The real Matt escapes his prison on the moon and exposes the phony at the homecoming dance. Issue 8. Using Billy's expert strategy, the Rangers defeat the Putty impersonator, but the emotional damage isn't so easily overcome. All right, so we certainly covered a lot of ground in that recap. There is a lot of, mm, I want to say, depth in this section. We get a lot of cause and Mm -hmm. effect that we don't normally get in Power Rangers. And a real steady shift, especially in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, into, I think, a much darker, more adult tone. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I thought, most notably, we get to see kind of, like, some thought experiments that I think we've kind of touched on in our discussions. Like, what, it, why teenagers? We get to see what happens mm-hmm. when Zordon chooses some adults and how that's yeah. different right away. <laughs> Grace Sterling and her role in this book and this story is so, so interesting. But before we get to Grace, I feel like we should uh, close the circle on on Billy and Tommy's journey into the Draconverse. Absolutely. So we get to see like why the coinless are the coinless and like what that exactly means in this universe. And I thought that was so interesting, like seeing Power Rangers as essentially like stormtroopers. That was crazy. Like <laughs> it is crazy. So so the idea is basically that Draken has gotten all the other power coins and use that energy to create his like own army of people. And then we see Trini and Zack with some perhaps unlikely allies like Bulk and Aisha fighting back while Billy, Kimberly, and Jason are unaccounted for at this point. Although by the end of the story, we do find out what happened to Billy. Yeah, sad. Yes, we learn that Billy in this universe sacrificed his life to save Trini's and Trini's not quite over it. And when our teenage Billy hears about it, he's not quite over it either. Yeah, and I would imagine, like, we get the sense immediately that Billy being in this universe again is, like, hugely problematic. Not, like, in a bad way, but it's, like, causing some tension. To find out exactly why, it's because the Billy in this universe is dead, and that this is, like, a temporary reprieve or whatever from that grief, but also not at all. Crazy. Yes, and the implication is that Billy is the one of the team that Dracon actually killed. Jason and Kimberly, like I said, are unaccounted for, wink wink. But for for now, that's what we've learned, that Billy was sort of Dracon's thing. So we see both reflected on the coin list, so I think see Billy as this great hero, which makes sense, and this sort of great loss. But also, I feel like the way Dracon treats Billy is really interesting, and sort of, like, 
gets to, I think, a dracon that sort of convinced himself of his own rightness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like any dictator, it, it's like this is ordained, all that has happened has, is supposed to happen. And so this idea that there is a version of Billy that survives him, he's like, well, yeah, that's temporary. Eventually, you will fill your role you know, which is to die by my hand. And it's just very, I mean, it's classic. It's a classic adult story, but it's in this context. It's so, it's so, um, I don't know, thrilling, really. Yeah. And he's constantly putting Billy down yeah, <laughs> and making it seem like everyone else's affection for Billy. Like, who cares about that? He's not that big. And, and that sort of like humanity to track on and a being who we see has lots of power, I think is really fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's like, he's annoyed that Billy is alive in some universe, even though he was like never in that universe. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, oh, why is this, why is this person well respected or well regarded in any way when I was able to destroy him so easily? Right. And like, along with that, he has no respect for a Tommy that's chosen to be a good guy. He thinks that Tommy of our universe is a weak little shit and (laughs) uh, really has no time for Yeah. Yeah, it's such an interesting and complex, like, mirror to show. We've been, you know, we've been having a lot of discussions about Tommy, obviously, like, talking about the Green Ranger five-parter and everything, but to see this, like, very opposite human take on him, it's just a really interesting experience. Yes, and one that works, I think, because Dracon feels like a person, not mm-hmm. just like, oh, I am evil. He feels like a, a, a guy gone wrong. And other things about this universe I love is that Skull is a spy. Mm-hmm. Love that. And he and Bulk are wearing matching bandanas. And that's important to me. Yeah. I think in this universe, they're definitely lovers. Is it not in every universe? Is it like, to me, anyway? Up for interpretation. <laughs> I don't know. Are they like the Zena and Gabrielle of like this show? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But it, it's nice to see that they, like, they have kind of stepped up to the plate in this universe because... There isn't anybody else to step up to the plate instead of them. So they're like, well, I Mm -hmm. guess we'll contribute. And they are doing a great job. And that's that's fun to see for sure. Yeah, and it, and it sells a, a friendship between the Rangers and Bulk and Skull. Obviously, these are adults, so years have gone by, though. That feels very real, and I think is the Bulk and Skull stuff I like when it feels like Bulk and Skull aren't just, like, ignoramuses, but are sort of, like, peers of the rest of the team. And, like, you can sort of feel the way. There's a, a lot of implied story about how Bulk and Skull became part of the fold. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, there's, like, a lot of collective trauma here, and they are not afraid to like lean into that as a connective tissue for these relationships. Yes. And the whole coinless is being led by Zach in this universe. And I love the way that we've started this series with this real like Zach being second in command mm-hmm. and maybe having some tension about it and maybe not always liking Jason. And that's certainly explored in Go-Go Power Rangers too. But this is a universe where like Zach has come into command and he does not seem to be having a very good time. No, like he gets exactly why this was so difficult. And it's kind of like when you finally get the thing that you think you should get and you hate it under like the worst circumstances, he's like, yeah, I want to be the leader but like not in this weird dystopia (laughs) wanted to be a leader of like a winning team that like saved the day yeah it's just yeah it's good stuff and and for most of the story we're seeing on both sides both the rangers back at home without zordon and alpha and the uh, rangers and this and the coinless Mm -hmm. the the just failure (laughs) yeah yeah they really do (laughs) they fail and it like has effects and like I think probably most strongly on Jason, as we'll see, it really impacts like how they view their responsibilities as rangers, like the like the failures here. But, you know, true to destiny, as we learn that, I guess, Zordon Unstuck from Time told Saba of this dimension who told Zack, love a prophecy, but this <laughs> one's a little convoluted, but that Jason and Billy do sort of outsmart Dracon and make a big explosion and get themselves sent back to their universe and tug him along with them. Yeah, that does happen. And although that last part is certainly not something they're aware of. But they become aware of it eventually. We'll get to that. But yeah, it's interesting. I really was like kind of fascinated with the fallout of this because Zordon isn't immediately returned. Like, yes, like Tommy and Billy come Mm -hmm. back to the timeline, but Zordon does not right away and so in that gap jason takes over that role of also being zordon which i guess is just him at the command center as much as possible sleeping there and like just monitoring 
everything all the time. Also, while Rita's gone, because they, yes. they also managed to defeat Rita and her sort of near conquering of the planet. And so um, it, it's a really interesting stage where it's like they don't have Zordon, but they also don't have Rita. But Jason's paranoia is still overwhelming. Mm-hmm. One more thing about this story, the Dracon story that I do want to mention, I think that didn't quite work for me, is I was like a little frustrated. It felt like they set up this rich universe and then we get out of it very quickly with no real interest in like, well, wait, what happened there? Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> we get very little backstory on that. Yes. And it's not clear that Billy and Tommy are even really thinking about it. We do circle back on that later in the line, mm. a little bit in Shattered Grid and a little bit uh in a later story but it was it did sort of strike me as like oh okay we're just leaving that behind stop thinking about that universe and i didn't love that yeah you would think that it would haunt billy and tommy specifically about like what could happen if their powers fall into the wrong hands because they were there and they saw it and we learned that both of them while jason is pushing himself as a leader as a monitor as all these things are pushing themselves physically that they're like getting very intense about working out and getting stronger but like it doesn't quite feel like they have an emotional attachment to the place they left just to the like hook of the place they left it's sort of the opposite of what we were saying works about Dracon. he's so human where yeah. they like they left the human part of it behind and just took the hook and are like well that's scary it's unfortunate but it does work in this next story as all the rangers are sort of adjusting to this new normal I wonder, though, like, to go back to this question of, like, why teenagers versus adults, like, do you think that that's, like, just some teenage coping mechanism? Like, well, that happened. Okay, moving on. I have a test tomorrow. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I think that's probably what that is leading on, for better or worse. Yeah, and we and we certainly see other versions of that that aren't just like, I have trauma. Like, like <laughs> Trini's really bored in these first few issues. She's yeah. like, there's no Rita. Like, high school is really boring i don't know what to do with myself and that's a really interesting like version of this and kim is like sort of loving the fact that she gets to be normal for a minute again yeah and doesn't understand why everyone else doesn't also want to feel that including tommy who they're like will they won't they is really cranking in these issues it, it is a really human and like you said very teenage look at these characters in this sort of interesting paradigm, no Zordon, no Rita. Well, and it, yeah, to Trini's boredom, like, to me, it's like, obviously, that's hypervigilance. That's obviously, like, a PTSD kind of feeling. But she's not seeing it as that. She's just like, I'm just bored. I'm just bored with everything that's going on. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just bored all the time. And it's like, okay. But it's just kind of contextualized through this lens of teenagers and they can't even like really talk to their parents about it you know they can't be like this happened to me there's no processing there's no adult to help them process what's going on until grace enters the picture but that even that kind of relationship that she does have with them is very tenuous and dubious as well she's very primed to fill this gap but in a way that like is kind of dangerous i do love the parents part of the story we we learned that Billy and Tommy sort of like faked that they were trapped underneath some rubble, arranged it so they could be found. And like, at one point we see that Billy's mom is just like constantly watching the video of him getting rescued because it's bringing her some level of comfort. And like this implication that their parents have become very traumatized by mm-hmm. their disappearance for that time as well, I think is a, a really interesting flavor and color to the world and sort of does start us on this road towards a, a, a bit of a darker tone. Yeah, it's like, if this show, I keep trying to think about the tone, because it's not necessarily an adult tone, but it's not a 90s TV show. I would even, Mm -hmm. I would kind of put it in like Shira, you know, the Netflix Shira. It's like kind of that space. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it gets darker by the end of it. But certainly this sort of like second of the three collections, I would agree, is sort of in that Shira space where it's like taking teenagers problems, especially surrounding engagement with violence very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. There are some little silly things in these issues that I really like. Bulk at one point, like, knows the theme song, it seems like. He does, like, a do-do-do-do-do-do, and it's like, why does he know that song? That really made me laugh. (laughs) Yeah. And then Finster is creating these monsters, and they all have the best names. Oh my god, I know I wrote a couple down. One is, like, Gothsloth or whatever. Like, amazing. Yep, Gothsloth. Oh my god. Yep. Uh, There's one called Borlock that I really like. Yeah. Croverload, which is a great name. And and at one point... They're like, oh, Finster's monsters are always them mashing stuff up. And it's like, well, well, no, that's not <laughs> really the hook. But I, I do enjoy all these monsters we get. One of them is, is Sheeple. Oh my which God, is Sheeple. A, like conspiracy theorist sheep monster 
great. It, they're really having fun with all these monsters. And I love it, especially for Finster in the story has been left behind on Earth while Rita and the rest of her gang are elsewhere. And it sort of does feel like Finster's just, like, having a good time. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's interesting because when Rita does eventually, like, come back... And Finster kind of briefs her on what he's been working on. Like, he's taken a very artistic perspective with his projects. He's like, it's about the chaos. Mm -hmm. It's about the fact that, you know, like, this could happen at any time and it changes the world and blah, blah, blah. And, like, then Rita immediately takes that, like, in a tactical bent. And she's like, okay, so there's, like, ten of these all over the world. Like, just send them off all at once. Like, just do it. (laughs) Like... Which does end up causing its own problem, Rita's hubris. But it is interesting. I love, I was thinking with Finster in these stories about, again, that sort of Kyle Higgins mission statement, Power Rangers, as it felt like. Because Mm -hmm. watching Power Rangers, Finster is kind of silly and dumb. But like, his design is so striking and a little creepy. And I feel like, while perhaps the annual story from last issue went a little too far, Mm -hmm. this is sort of like Finster as like creepy genius. And he's very eerie. He's very unsettling at all times. He's their their prisoner for a while, but still feels this real sense of like, I could kill you. And then we learned that he could just let himself out at any time. He's just waiting for Rita to come back. So they're doing some cool stuff with Finster in these issues that sort of feel like the sweet spot between dopey Finster we often get in the show actually and Finster murdering his wife repeatedly. Yeah, it's a good gray area, I would say. (laughs) Yes, I like Finster a lot. And he's always colored so well he's in Mm -hmm. such like good high contrast shadow and it works really well yeah because then you can actually like just take in like the full visual of his like creature which i don't even think like the character like in the show like the costume like you don't really the shape of him it's like not super clear because especially because it's like older footage but if you saw that in real life like that would be so creepy and like we really get that Mm -hmm. in this in the artistic rendering but yeah it's it's, you really see this person who's like seeing what he's doing which is like truly like acts of massive destruction as his art and his expression and so there's like a level of divorce from like the consequences of what he's doing as well Mm -hmm. and that's adds into like kind of the creepiness and puts us on more to the side of like him killing his wife multiple times but not quite there (laughs) not quite right and finster's shenanigans are what lead us into the introduction of grace sterling who we first meet as this like i think obviously modeled off the tech billionaire archetype which makes me instantly distrust her but we come to learn was zordon's original red ranger on earth and really an interesting person and an interesting story I, when she was like, I was a Red Ranger, I screamed. I, like, was just like, what? Like, it's, it's something I've always wanted, like, as a feminine-aligned person watching Power Rangers. Like, I want a girl Red Ranger so bad. Like, it doesn't ever happen. At least as far as I know. Samurai has a, not for the whole season, but uh, briefly has briefly. a girl Red Ranger. It's like, but that's what I really, 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 really want. And to get that like in this it was just immediately great but then also when she like took that experience and became a tech billionaire i was like oh no (laughs) this is gonna be bad but it also kind of tracks with what that experience is so like what we're told is that someone so the psycho rangers are characters from power rangers in space we'll get there eventually but there's no green one because at that point there's no green person on the team but the psycho green allegedly came at some point to find rita his ship was shot down but like he gets woken up that's what we learn. And so that's why Zordon's like, we got to send some Power Rangers to stop him before Rita Repulsa awakens. Yeah. Basically, because I guess the fear is that with a Psycho Ranger on the moon, like, he's definitely going to find her and then they're going to have to have, like, it's going to break the seal and everything. So Don't want that. And this time, <laughs> instead of Teenagers with Attitude, Zordon picks five very capable adults. Yes. And, and something I noticed, they're not all wearing their colors. <laughs> When it no, happens. not when they're chosen, which I did kind of like. <laughs> yeah, I was like, ooh, so this isn't hard locked by whatever you're wearing. Like, maybe the question I ask at the end of every episode is totally fake. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe you have a chance to change in between receiving your morpher and episode two. But <laughs> <laughs> we do, more importantly, I think, to how they're dressed, although they are, yeah. do all have very striking good designs, is that, like... They all have really, really different perspectives on the world. And I think this is sort of where the tonal shift finishes for me. Because, mm-hmm. like, this issue's really seeped, this is issue 20, in the Cold War. In, yes. Like, 
American war shenanigans in the moon landing and like what was happening in the rest of the world when that happened because there's a lot of tension between the team because we have Grace who is a NASA astronaut but we also have a US Marine we have a Soviet spy we have an anti-war protester from England like it's it's a very eclectic strange group but wait a second isn't Grace notably not an astronaut like she is working for NASA or NASDA or whatever and it is. And I think this is a real thing that happened, but like she was one of several women who were being trained as an astronaut and they ultimately canceled the program. So okay. she was not ever going to go to space, but she was being trained as an astronaut. Okay. Cause like, cause they make a big point of saying that she was a secretary, like in the narrative. So I didn't know, like it could have been, I mean, obviously because women, you know, the glass ceiling was very, very low. The idea that, you know, she joined NASA thinking that she was going to go to space, but then they were like, no, you'll be a secretary, obviously, duh. Yes. There was some amount of bait and switch. Yeah. I don't know if it's 100% clear how much astronaut training she got before. It was like, never mind, you're never going to space. But there was, she thought she was going to be going to space. Yeah. And she ended up working as a secretary. Also, it is N-A-S-A-D-A. Which I don't really understand what the DA is. I don't is. either, and it's a recurring thing in Power Rangers. I'm hoping that when it comes back up in Power Rangers, which I think will be around the In Space era, mm-hmm. we might get it then. But, like, it is NASADA, not NASA, and I do not know why. Yeah. I kept trying to work it out in my head, and I was like, I can't, I don't, I don't understand. We're gonna do a brief Google. I could, yeah. Find out. I should have Googled it, but I did not. So, for whatever reason, let's see. NASADA is the NASA of this world. I don't know why it's not NASA. Maybe there was some sort of rights situation, but, like, my Google tells me that there's actually no further information. Oh it's God. just that, for whatever reason, in this world, NASA's called NASADA. Do you think... Uh, that is a mystery we'll try to solve. Do you think that you can't you can't say NASA unless you take money from the Pentagon? Do you think that's how that works? I'm going to do one more Google, and I may be able to solve this mystery backwards. Okay. Which, because what it just occurred to me is maybe there is an element in Mega Ranger, which is the series that space takes its footage of. Oh. Yes. Okay. So there, it, it's Nasada in Mega Ranger. So the okay. answer is that. Exactly. All right. Okay, but what does it stand for? I don't know for? what that means in that context, but... I just want to know what the acronym is for, but fine. We're getting there. We're getting there. Fine. <laughs> Still, it's a big, nasty group of people who don't get along very well, and that causes them some problems. Yeah, well, also, again, it's kind of like this callousness of Zordon on display, which, like, we've seen at points before, where he's just like, yeah, no questions, just go do this thing, and... I think it's very clear here, like, he just kind of put a bunch of people in space when, like, space travel wasn't even normalized and was just like, yeah, this is what's happening and expected them to be okay with it. Yeah, there was no sort of warm up. There were no, they don't have swords. They don't have a lot of, like, things that they probably needed, which I think the implication is that Zordon sort of creates some of that stuff perhaps in between. But but yeah, it, it goes very badly almost instantly one of them get two of them get killed and the third ends up sacrificing himself sort of to deal the final blow and take out cycle green but like it's a real bloodbath and a lot of the bloodbath seems to be just that like they zordon grabbed them and threw them into battle with little to no information and little to no support and it all went very badly which i think gets to why in that situation he chose adults who he thought had the skills and later he's like i'm gonna choose teenagers who i can put my information on to well and to be fair like he did choose teenagers who at least four out of five of them all knew some form of martial arts and who were friends and knew how to work together which i think was also the thing that he wanted to achieve yeah i think that was probably more important to him than the idea of them being like super talented or professional in what they were doing but yeah, it it just really struck me. I was like, so he's just going to throw them into space. Like we just had the moon landing for like the very first time. And you're, then you're going to just take essentially five civilians and then literally put them on the moon with like no preamble whatsoever. Like that would have been so mind blowing. Like for you, it would take you at least an hour just to be like, I am on the moon and it's okay. I'm not like dying immediately. Like 
wild. Yeah, they are sort of like, well, oh, okay, this is happening. It's it's a lot for them to take in. It doesn't go well. And then afterwards, because Cycle Green's defeated, Zordon sort of like, thank you for your participation and sends Grace and the other surviving Get ranger out. back into their lives. <laughs> like you said in the first episode, where it was like, either you help me or you can leave. And then he forces them to walk home, you know, like at first when they turn him yeah. down. It's very much that. Like, I'm, you know, thanks for your help. We've neutralized all visible threats, so see you never. Yeah, it's Crazy. really very callous and I think really motivates. And I think well, one thing we do, I think, learn is that Zordon feels a lot of guilt about the situation. Yeah. And part of the callousness might be his way of dealing and trying to keep his rangers from harm's way in the future. But also it motivates Grace for her the entire rest of her life. She wants to help the world and she knows about morphin grid technology at least vaguely enough to like try to do some stuff with that and she's gonna do it and that's sort of the grace we meet now in the modern day who tells all of this story to the rangers and the rangers don't love hearing about another thing Zordon kept from them well it's just like the green ranger all over again it's like why like if you knew this was gonna happen why didn't you say anything what is wrong with you and they really do call Zordon does come back like calls around out a little bit on like you just constantly expect us to blindly trust you but you also perpetually do not tell us things and like we want to trust you but the (laughs) you gotta trust us and Zoran has hesitations about Promethea that prove to be I think true but but not perhaps as dark as he thought Grace does have secrets that she's keeping from the rangers as well namely that she found Lord Dracon and as him prisoner and is like siphoning energy from him. That's what I yes. took from it. Yeah. And his connection to the Morphin Grid and then also is is really sort of ruthless in her own way and also willing to do whatever it takes. She, I think, became Zordon more than she maybe meant to. And <laughs> has none of Zordon's fears about escalating fights as well. And so the Rangers' alliance with her definitely frays, and we're sort of left wondering how they're going to proceed forward. These two groups who are very in each other's business, and Grace knows who they are. I know it's going to come back later. It can't not come back later. But, like, it's interesting to see, because obviously Zordon is uncomfortable with Promethea and, like, uncomfortable with, like, her goals. But it's like, maybe if you would have given her any context or, like, kind of just a little bit of a talk down from what just happened. Like, maybe that wouldn't have occurred. Like, she's obviously just kind of, like, grasping to get the kind of control and opportunity that she once had in that very, very brief moment, Mm -hmm. you know? And, like, that's why that's her whole life, is she's, like, trying to replicate these powers that Zordon gave her without her knowing, like, without her asking for it, and then took it away before she could even process what was happening, you know? Right, after traumatizing her. Yeah, And and I think this whole storyline is sort of centering the Rangers in their sort of like quest for control. And they're like, they want to do good in the world, but they feel over their heads and under resource. And we sort of get different versions of like resources they lack, whether that's Zordon's knowledge or Grace Sterling's financial resources. Mm -hmm. And it's always coming with these caveats. And I think they're left sort of feeling like, I don't know how we're supposed to do this because we have all this responsibility, but maybe not quite enough power. Yeah. I think they're also realizing how much they're giving up too. They do not get to be, I mean, this is explored more in GoGo Power Rangers than here, but like they don't get to be normal teenagers at all. And it's not just like another elective that they take, you know? Right. And, and I think the, the big subplot in these issues besides Jason's sort of like, paranoia is Kimberly and Tommy sort of just like not being able to get on the same emotional page and I think so much of it is this like sense of fear we get from Kimberly of like why would I be allowed to have a boyfriend even if he's also a power ranger like they don't understand how this is supposed to work for them even though they're on the same team and I think that really drives home the sort of reality of like who like what are we allowed to be anything but Power Rangers right now? Like, is that okay? <laughs> yeah. But then also kind of, I think when Grace enters the pictures, like seeing like how that could leave kind of a, a hole, uh, like once this is all taken away, which like it very well could be at any point, like you could win the war or whatever it is. And then suddenly you don't have this power, this, these, this kind of control in your life anymore either. And that also has a problem, you know? Right. And when you consider yourself responsible for the whole world, it's, it's not long before you start making compromises yeah. 
to fulfill those goals. All of this also has a big conversation about proactivity and Saba is sort of very moved by this and is like, Dracon's my problem. I want to go take him out. Oof. He goes to try to kill Lord Dracon. This is, I think, the the full descent into like dark. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Dracon sort of dodges a blow and uses it to escape and then snaps Saba's head off. Yeah. It's really a lot. And also like sets Dracon off as very scary. And now he is off traveling through the multiverse and we don't know what exactly he has planned. And that is of course going to lead us into Shattered Grid in our next episode. But but this scene I think does sort of like, this whole arc leaves you feeling very unsettled. And I think this scene is sort of the last piece of that. Yeah, I have like so many questions and like concerns. I don't know, like, cause I don't know. Cause again, I'm, I haven't read these before at all. So I have no idea, but it's like, I know that in the show, like, I know why narratively and then also externally why Aisha and Rocky take on the roles that they do. And I don't know if that's going to come into play. I don't know how that would come into play. And I'm, like, nervous about it. I'm like, is are people going to have breakdowns? Are people going to be injured? Like, I, you know, I'm afraid. And then this, I, like, I don't know how the White Ranger comes into this. Like, I'm afraid, especially with Saba being, like, literally, like, beheaded. <laughs> Just, like, yeah. so much. Well, that's another universe of Saba. Uh, oh, but, right, but yes, right, right, right. It does feel like very fraught and very like anything could happen now. And I think that's a really cool place to leave them and catapult them into their big crossover. Is there anything else we want to say about Mighty Morphin before we take our little break and talk about the other ongoing series we get to explore? I think I'm good. I think I'm ready to go into Go Go Power Rangers. The only other thing, Goldar is really great still. Yeah. Goldar is great in these books. He's so good. Just know that. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so let's go ahead and... Oh, well, one last thing. Squat and Bebu. Okay. They're a little okay. story. Very silly. Very stupid. It's fun and dumb and works a lot. And there's one thing I have to highlight, though, which is when they're in the Zord universe, there's a Radbug Zord. Yes! <laughs> and they're like, and it's evil. It. We have to kill it. It's so funny. It's so <laughs> cute. Also, on point, Squat says the line... Like, let's go to sleep. We don't feel the tears when we sleep, which yeah. is also really stupid and funny. This, th- These little backup stories are really cute and fun. And Bulk and Skull were fun and Squat and Babu were fun. And I like it. Yeah. But let's take a little break and come back and talk about not a side story, its own ongoing story, a parallel track. Let's see how we feel about Go Power Rangers. All right, let's do it. Okay, Go Go Power Rangers, which is kind of a step back in time. Mm-hmm. It's, it is a step back in time, but there's no Tommy here. Yeah, no Tommy. No Tommy at all. Maybe if you squint, a kind of alternate take on what they could have done with Tommy is in this series, or like the idea of Tommy. And then we're really seeing kind of this, like, they have a back and forth timeline of like, they call it the arrival and the idea is it's like in the immediate days after them getting their their ranger powers and then like the few months or in Rita's case 10,000 years before yes. that happens. Yeah, each issue sort of takes us a little bit back in time and and then also is in the sort of immediate like I think this entire series is nominally set between issue one or episode one and episode two of the show. Although I think obviously that slides a little bit, but certainly the first arc is very much set after episode one, but before episode two. Yeah. And so we get this like very immediate kind of grappling with getting the ranger powers. And a deep focus on what that means for them personally. Yeah, which is so fun. <laughs> it is fun. I, I have to say, like, let's just talk about Matt because yeah, that's I think we gotta start thing. there because that's sort of the big addition, and I'm curious to hear how you feel about it. So I love the idea of Matt. Like I love exploring that kind of consequence. I guess is the way that I would say it, because that's not something that we have in the series. Is that basically Matt is Kimberly's boyfriend when right. she gets her ranger powers, and he's kind of like the leader or like the the glue of this group of friends like he's why they're all friends but he's not there when they get their morphers so he doesn't know he does not get one yeah he doesn't get one and he doesn't know and so he's the odd man out and that's so real i think that's probably like the realest thing the most realistic thing 
that this series has like really done to me is like because in the show like the ranger team is they're just like their own group and they don't really have anybody outside of that group and so it's not really a big deal that they have to keep secrets from other people mm-hmm. because they have nobody else mm-hmm. to like really explain things to other than their parents which they're teenagers so why would they tell their parents the truth i mean i always did but that's me i was lame i guess i don't know but so the point is responsible <laughs> i mean it, it didn't change anything that i did so <laughs> i was like yeah mom i did do that what of it i don't know anyway but the point is this idea that they would have friends outside of the ranger team that they would then have to be like yeah i'm sorry i can't explain to you what's going on with me and like kimberly mm-hmm. specifically having a boyfriend that she's like yeah i'm not trying to bail on you i just have to <laughs> That's just such a, I don't know, a rich kind of conflict that I'm happy that they even started with. And then it goes on to using Matt as like a pain point or a weakness point for exploiting the Rangers. Because at some point there's a bit of a body swap situation where Matt is caught up in an attack and is taken to Rita's Rita's palace forever is what I think it's squat says you have to live out the rest of your life here. And is replaced with a putty, a super intelligent putty that is designed basically to figure out exactly who the rangers are and how to bring them out into the open so they can be easy to attack, basically. Basically answering the question of, like, how Rita knows who the Power Rangers are outside of them being Power Rangers. Yeah, we see them very early on sort of mess up and tell her their names. And then Matt, this, like putty person is sort of the other piece of like why Rita knows everything about them. Yeah. Matt to me, I am so mixed on that. And to be honest, I'm pretty mixed on this whole series. Okay. I don't love it as purely as I do the other ongoing. It's not as clean. I'll tell you that. It's not. And like, I think where the other show is really trying to evoke the series of the feeling of the series, this show feels so much more interested in like I don't want to say one-upping because I think that implies a level of like malice maybe or disdain Mm. for the source material but like it's so obsessed with like like okay the Zach issue from last week where it was like here's a thing that happened behind the scenes worked so well because it was so integrated this the stuff they're introducing here feels less integrated and Matt is one of those things to me like Matt is almost too important to this series for my taste. While I also love the idea of the narrative hook, like, they're asking me to buy into this person who I don't know. And I'm not always buying in because I don't actually find the human that they've made him very interesting at all. Oh, no, he's just kind of like a Jason Tommy hybrid. Yeah. That you can just project onto, for sure. He's a football player. He's popular, attractive. Like, I almost wish he wasn't Kimberly's boyfriend and just, like, another friend. I think that could have been more interesting. The Mm -hmm. other thing that this series does that is sort of, like, a ding for me is that Kimberly's story is almost all Matt and Trini's story is almost all having a crush on Jason. And it's like, great, okay, so both of our female characters are just in love with boys. Cool. (laughs) I maybe would have liked this character better if it was a girl because there was already a gender imbalance in this group. Yeah. There was something about Matt that just like didn't click in while I love the concept and I like a lot of the ideas that come with it. So are you saying that are we supposed to take these series in conjunction with each other? Like they are supposed to be, I think, all set in the same universe. Oh, really? There's some tension there that sort of gets resolved when eventually... Kyle Higgins is going to leave the book after Shattered Grid. There's a little brief thing, but then Kyle, uh, Ryan Parrott, who writes Go Go Power Rangers, ends up writing sort of both ongoings at once, and they become a lot more conjoined. Okay. But I think the implication is supposed to... And we, we also hear references to some of this stuff. That's We hear true. references to Matthew in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. We hear references to Billy applying for internship at Promethea in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So I believe they're supposed to be... In canon with each other. Okay, well, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about comics, but I do know that there's like a billion different runs of everything. So then when comic series kind of like overlap or don't, like, I'm just like, oh, are these supposed to be in the same universe or not? And I kind of took Matt as like an experiment. I took Go Go Power Rangers as like (laughs) an experiment, not necessarily canon so i don't have like the same kind but like seeing it as like oh these are all supposed to be one linear story together like yeah there definitely are huge issues there then yeah yeah it just doesn't quite feel as integrated with the show too and yeah i do think this is a series that finds its footing as it goes along i liked the last several issues a lot more than i liked the first several issues Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, like, I don't know. There's a setup with Jason that he like used to be a bully that I'm like, I just don't buy that. <laughs> and there's a, the again, I don't like that Trini gets sort of reduced to like, I have a crush on Jason. I like the idea of Trini having a crush on Jason. Yeah. I don't love that that becomes her storyline. Yeah. I think he, the series spends many issues not knowing what to do with Zach. It does click into something really interesting with Zach, again, I think uh, being the team mommy, like he sort of is the one who clues in really quick that something's not right with Matt. And he is sort of managing and then keeping everyone happy in a lot of ways. Once we get there, it really works. I don't know. It's it's I, I have such mixed feelings about this series. Yeah, well, now that I'm supposed to see these as like part of the same whole, whereas I just kind of saw that, like one is like kind of just like an offshoot. Yeah, I could definitely understand that. Like, I like the idea of a, of a person in their friend group that they have to basically leave behind because it's yes. impossible. Like, it's it's impossible to have someone in your group of friends that doesn't know that you're all in a group saving the universe all the time. Like, that would be impossible. Eventually, they would just leave. When they're the only one, too, I think is yeah. the sort of big thing, too. Yeah, and so I like seeing that kind of play out, although obviously the way that what we finish the way volume two ends like Matt is not eating and he's massively traumatized by his experience in Rita's palace. So I don't, I think we're already getting, getting the feeling of perhaps why Kimberly and Matthew did not work out as a couple. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it, it has nothing to do with them being power Rangers from his view, but everything to do with it overall, you know, like, I guess like that's the thing that is kind of lacking for me in this is that we don't ever get kind of the realization from Matt, that oh my girlfriend is a power ranger and my entire friend group they're power rangers and i'm not like i want that feeling and it does come eventually it's unfortunately gonna be after our time with this book club maybe we'll pick it back up another time but Mm -hmm. like it it does they do eventually play the story out and it's not like super satisfying to me but i i Mm. almost wish instead of matt getting replaced by someone else that the story the second half of the story had been Matt finding out the truth in at homecoming. And what does that do to everyone? Like I would have, I think liked chewing on that more, but there are things about this book that I really do like. So we can talk about about that. Those I like Kimberly is framed as someone who's much newer to town than I've ever got the implication she was. And I think that largely works. Like Mm -hmm. I think the way that she's engaging with some of the other kids makes a lot of sense. There's this backstory that like, and, and also the way she's dealing with her parents' divorce, which is sort of happening in the midst of this moment in the book. Um, They're also a lot younger. Yeah. They're all called 15, except for Billy who's called 14. Woof. Okay. I don't buy that, but that's fine. I'll, (laughs) I'll buy in. I like that that Kimberly, I think Kimberly in general is characterized really well in this book and her balance of trying to be normal while also <laughs> understanding that she's not. That story, I think, works really well for her. Yeah. And I do, like, I like seeing how all of them are trying to manage this new responsibility, like, in a very kind of, like, intimate way. Mm-hmm. And, like, balance it. Like, the idea of Billy having this huge internship at Promethea and, like, he's in the final rounds of selection and they're even to the point of, like, sending him swag and stuff like that. And then to get into the interview and just being like, yeah, I don't think I can do this. Like, I don't think this will be something that I can really do given all of the things I've got going on that I cannot elaborate at this time. Right. And Billy, like, isn't sure he should be a Power Ranger. Like, there's a lot of him that's, like... Maybe I should be a Promethea, not a Power Ranger, but I know I can't do both. And I don't know which one's right for me. I I like Billy a lot in this series. Yeah, and he's also looking at Matt and saying, well, Matt fits in much more with this kind of responsibility than I ever would. So, like, why don't we just make that official? And so it's kind of a two-way street in that regard. Whereas, like, I wish Matt would know, like, oh, I'm not a Power Ranger and everyone of my friends are. But, like, he doesn't. But then Billy's definitely like, why isn't Matt a Power Ranger? What the hell? Yeah, I really like this is also... the series that introduces the idea of Billy and Skull being friends. Yes. Um, I think Bulk and Skull take a while in this series to warm up. Early on, they're presented as like bully bullies. And I think it just feels off to me. Like, I don't think that version of bullying exists in the year 20, I don't know, 18, whenever this was. Like, it, it, it felt, that felt really 90s while the rest of the series was trying to feel very modern. It wasn't quite clear, like, why they were doing anything they were doing. There was this implication that's because they were feeling very scared by the arrival of aliens onto their world, but, like, it wasn't quite played out. But in the second story with Bulk and Skull, I feel like we clicked into some good stuff with them. We clicked into them. Like, it's weird because 
to go back to that thesis of like this is how the show this is how you should you remember the show more than how the show is rather mm-hmm. i mean i guess we remember like Balkan as being like more bullyish but like not that kind of bully ish like not violent and like cruel you know what i'm saying they were fun and funny yeah and so like in the beginning of this series they are like literally just annoying and mean like literally just mean and that's it Mm -hmm. not even funny and it's not until like the later issues that they are kind of funny or we have some sort of sympathy for them at all yeah in the second arc bulk has decided to run for homecoming king somewhat as a joke somewhat because bulk loves attention which again really tracks with the bulk we know from the show um and the 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 person this rich popular girl running for homecoming queen who we don't have a lot of affection for oh boy but um, (laughs) no definitely not is basically like bullies him into dropping out and like when he's at the dance he's like gotten a date and he and skull are having a good time it's all very cute and fun and like there's there's a couple pages where we see like just the gang at the dance and they're dancing and they're taking pictures and like bulk and skull are part of that that's when i was like okay this this series has figured out bulk and skull also Rita and her goons, I think, are really good in this series, especially some of the backstory stuff they give us about them is really interesting to me. Oh, my God. I was so sad about Squat. I was so sad. Yeah, we learned that Squat's parents gave him to Rita as like an offering to try to spare them and it didn't really work. But she kind of was like, OK, I have this henchman now. Um, we also sort of get the sense that like Rita, her driving thing is like she wants people who are absolutely loyal to her. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't care if you're an idiot. She doesn't care if you are super capable, not capable enough, were evil before, weren't evil before, got you as a baby. What she cares about is like, are you absolutely loyal to Rita Repulsa? And they play that with most of the goon characters uh, throughout the second arc, especially. Yeah. And like, I was not clear necessarily on why she blew up Montar. I guess like it was like he obviously like was trying to do stuff, but like I what guess she later tells Goldar is that he he she knew that he was just looking for a way to one up her. And yeah. she isn't interested in that. But that I don't think that was necessarily textually clear. Like in terms of like the moment when it happens, it just makes her seem like, I agree. crueler, like more like more mean, which I like. I like Rita when she is kind of ruthless, kind of more Frieza than Team Rocket. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. that was just one thing that was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess he has to die. Okay, whatever. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And then the even more so than like this obsession with Matt. I'm okay with an obsession with Matt because he's another character. The sh- the book is really obsessed with the putty pretending to be Matt and giving them this whole like rich. Yeah. I see humanity. I'm not going to listen to Rita. All this stuff. I'm like, I don't care about this. I feel like this was a storyline in the Batman cartoon of the 90s. Or maybe it was Batman and Robin. I can't remember. Where like a clay face creature like becomes friends with Robin and then it's just like yeah well I'm evil though but like we were friends do you remember that I'm not I'm not Mm -hmm. making that up right and I don't think so (laughs) I'm pretty sure we're gonna I'm gonna find it it's basically like Clayface creates a child to befriend Robin and then in the process of that the child is like oh I don't really want to be evil but like Clayface is my quote-unquote dad So, like, Mm -hmm. I've got to do it. And this kind of feels like that storyline to me because it's this idea of, like, oh, now that I'm here and I know I'm supposed to be working towards this, like, evil goal, now that I'm here and I've, like, learned all these things about these people, I don't really want to do it. And there's this very brief moment where this super putty or whatever, super smart putty, is like, I'm free, I'm my own person now and you can't do anything about it. And, like, Rita immediately is just like, I'll take control then. Like, it's fine. (laughs) It's not even, like, a statement. Yeah, it feels really pointless and, like, it's drawing focus. I think one of the hardest things when you come onto a book like this as a creative or any sort of, like, ongoing superhero, any sort of licensed thing is that, like, you want to bring your own stamp and create your own characters in some ways. But, like, I think as a reader, I get really frustrated when I feel like the characters who you've created are pulling focus from the characters that I'm here for. Yeah. And, like, Matthew was already doing this a little bit. But I was like kind of rolling with it. And then another new version of Matthew starts doing with it. I'm like, why? Yeah. why? <laughs> right. Because it's like it's, Matthew in and of himself is interesting, like as a idea. But yes. Matthew, like fake putty Matthew gaining humanity and not wanting to carry out their evil purpose is a step too far. Like it's one or the other. Like that could be a story that you give to like Jason or 
like not Jason, but like that Putty could be impersonating Jason or impersonating right, Billy right. or whatever. Like you could do the storyline without having this like level of removal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it 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 didn't quite click in though. And even though I think the second storyline in general clicked a lot better for me. Sure, Trini is an issue for me this whole time. Like she just spends the whole time having a crush on Jason, and it's really boring to me. Like, it... and then I didn't get why she was like, "Oh no, I don't have a crush on you." At the end, I'm like, "What?" What's the point? It's very weird and it feels like a waste of one of the best characters, but at least she's getting tons of time and attention over in the other book, so I'll allow it. On the note of Trini, though, didn't we just kind of finalize in the previous section of Mighty Morphin that she was from Taiwan, right? Yep. And in this sure book, did. her mom is from Korea. Yeah, I think unfortunately the editor might be responsible for this one. But yeah, it perhaps if this wasn't coming from a long history of Trini being vaguely and undefinedly East Asian and from everywhere, depending on what episode of the show it needed, I would have looked at this and been like, it was an editing error. It happens. The show wasn't clear. But like almost with everything else, it just feels like, I don't know. Did you even try? <laughs> it was just like, so is it, it felt like a an inside joke almost to me. I mean, it probably is just an error, right? But it's like this idea that in the 90s version of the show, like we don't know where Trina is from and like she has no set culture in any way. It's just like whatever is needed by the narrative, which is gross. And like, but also common in the 90s, like I, we can't go back in time and be like, be better because it was the 90s. Right. But I can ask this to be better. Yes. And maybe the idea is that she has a Taiwanese dad and a Korean mom. That's fine. Say that. Say like, it. You can't, you can't brush by it with the history of the character, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel like that's such an egregious oversight, truly. One thing about this book <laughs> that I think is, though, like, I can say nothing but great things about is Dan Mora's art. I think mm-hmm. it is so right for the Power Rangers. It's so expressive and cartoony, but, like, dynamic. The, the relationship between the artist and colorist here are working so well like this book is really beautiful to look at and yeah so good at drawing both teenagers and action scenes yes yeah we also didn't mention it that we in mighty morphin the regular artist changed over and very different take really sort of like worked with the darker tone but wasn't quite as cartoony as we've gotten i don't know Mm -hmm. exactly how i feel about it or if this person is the artist on shattered grid yet but like it was interesting to watch the ship. When it first happened, I was like, this is very jarring. And especially it's colored a lot darker. Yes. And then as the storyline went on, I was like, this works for this storyline, but doesn't quite feel as like poppy Power Rangers. Although I will say that Jonah Scharf, who is really, really good at drawing faces of characters in crisis. I think he yeah. draws Kimberly and Jason really, really well um, yeah. in that series. How do we feel about like the idea of, of Jason and Trini? being a thing um like just intrigued yeah you know i i think the sort of like obvious thing that i'm glad they never did was like jason and kimberly and then i think mighty morphin power rangers has continued to do a really good job of expressing why those two are just really good platonic friends and would not Mm -hmm. work as a couple i see especially this version of trini i see why she and jason would work i understand the crush yeah. I guess I wish it was more like I would rather this series was the story of Jason and Trini starting to date and deciding that that wasn't right for them than it was eight issues of Trini having a crush and Jason being like and the second half of the story is just Jason finding out and be like oh I'm confused like and but them not talking to each other like yeah. I, I wish we had done the story if we were going to do the story I think there is a lot of promise there but it's interesting. Yeah it, it is an interesting story like I don't think that they really want to do it though. Yeah. Like Can that's it or no? yeah because like they spend all this time with Trini having this like crush that she's not wanting to talk about and then Jason like Jason's not saying like oh absolutely not he's just like I just never really thought about it and then like Trini's like just don't ever think about it again <laughs> don't worry yes. about it I know this is another storyline that has pieces I don't remember that we're not going to get to in, in this particular club. round of book club but perhaps we'll revisit on a future date but but is like. I don't know. I have this sort of feeling of like, if you did the story, I think there's a lot I would have liked about the story right now. It feels Mm -hmm. like you're not willing to do the story. And instead what I'm getting is Trini reduced to unrequited crush and Jason being like, ooh. It also feels weird given what we've read of like Mighty Morphin where like Trini and I'm not saying like this is the direction they're going, but like Trini and Billy have like a very solid relationship and like he's not even part of 
that like she's not even talking to billy about anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) i guess it is like Mm -hmm. brand new but like they were friends before they were power rangers so like what's the deal like why does he not They have like one scene but yeah absolutely yeah like they have a very solid report to the point where in the coinless universe which i know we don't talk about that after we leave it but billy sacrifices himself for trini so like obviously they have a deep relationship okay and they like platonically go to homecoming together and go go power rangers but it's not like we really get to like sit in that no and also it's sort of coming like the the big part of that story is trini wanted to go with jason but jason was being a weirdo and then jason is like i guess i'll just go by myself it's not weird and he's like trying to convince himself why it's okay to go to a dance without a date which like hello that was my whole life but whatever it wasn't I weird think power rangers knows quite what to do with jason i think part of the problem is that like matt is stealing some of like the energy that should go to jason and like i don't know maybe it clicks in later but at this point jason does sort of feel like a nothing burger and and very a lot of whiplash there's like one issue where he like finds out trini has a crush on him and then two scenes later he's like yelling at everyone for not taking being a power ranger seriously Mm -hmm. and then the next issue it's just like oops sorry and it's like well what is it like what is jason's perspective yeah yeah which is so weird because like mighty morphin gave such kind of grounding to jason that we didn't Mm -hmm. have and so it's just kind of frustrating and continues to continues to do really good jason yes and so it's just kind of frustrating that this like because again, I guess I didn't realize that they were all supposed to be in the same canon. And I was like, oh, this is just an alternate take. But like with it being the same canon, it's like, this is weird. You have a text to reference back to. Make sure it's coherent. I don't know. But it's that weird. I guess it's just comics for you. I don't know. This series is like certainly worth reading. I don't want to make it seem like I just absolutely hate it. I just like I was really no, struck it's fun. this time around, especially having just read Mighty Morphin, which I think is like super successful mm-hmm. of how much I was like, this is less successful. It has a lot of great ideas. It has a lot of great scenes. It's just ultimately less successful. We do end with a, a stinger, which is going to lead us into the Go-Go Power Rangers part of Shattered Grid, where we see a Finster Alpha hybrid talking to a very bad girl looking Pink Ranger yeah. about trying to find their master. So don't know what's going to happen there. I do know what's going to happen there. But I don't know. Um, I've read before. Yes. I have no idea. I'm uh, like, all right. But they are soon to be sucked into the big storyline happening with Lord Dracon in the other book. And that's exciting. I'm so excited. I think the big takeaway of this series versus Mighty Morphin is that this is about interpersonal consequences, coherent or not. And that's it. And both books are telling a version of a story about what do you have to give up to be a Power Ranger? And I think the Power Rangers version of the story is focusing on sort of internal emotions and like, because this is what being a Power Ranger means and this version is is focusing on that like what like what have the rangers lost from their pre-rangers life that now in this story in mighty morphin they're struggling with which i think works as a yeah yeah it's good to have both perspectives so that's why they're worth reading together for sure yes but that is i think gonna do it for our our discussion now i have to ask you natalie we're gonna keep this broad both books i don't think it has to be a ranger like who is your favorite character in these series favorite character uh i hmm i really liked jason this go around okay which jason both jasons go go jason mighty Morphin uh, well jason? mighty morphin jason okay. i like i like seeing a man who's like got the weight of the world on his shoulders and like doesn't know how long he can hold it like i like that yeah they tell that story really well with him. yeah i'm kind of floored by how great jason is in these books i talked about that a little bit last week but it continues it continues so good my favorite character is grace sterling i think okay. she's really interesting um, <laughs> i mean yeah i, I love her so <laughs> They do a good job of like, I don't know, it takes a lot for you to introduce a tech billionaire into your book and have me have empathy for them. But like, I have empathy for Grace Sterling. And like, they do a good job of her being traumatized, but going too far, but having good intentions and sort of like letting you know all of that. And I'm like, there's some really touching moments with her when she like steps onto the moon for the first time. It's really kind of lovely. And like, yeah, when she gets in her Zord that she made herself to help them fight. It, there's like a, a, a feeling and a charge to that moment that I really like. And then when Jason confronts her about Dracon, she's she gets it. She's like, I know, like, <laughs> I know this was bad. I know that you're upset. I get why you're upset. And I'm bummed this is all happening this way. Like the, the her good intentions butting against her actions and her trauma, I think all works really well. I think she's a really good character. Yeah, she doesn't take away from the story at all in any way. She just adds to it in a very nice and good way. And also she's great. And I love her. And yeah, good call. Good yep. choice. We love Grace. 
Okay, so next episode is part three of three of at least this round of Boom Studios Book Club. It's Shattered Grid. It's the big crossover. So this encapsulates the following issues. It's issues 25 through 30 of My Name from Power Rangers. It's issues 9 through 12 of Go Go Power Rangers. There's an annual, the 2018 annual. There's a free comic book day special. And then there's the big Shattered Grid finale. So I, when this episode goes up, I will tweet a link to the reading order we're going to use. You can use it. There's a few differences, but it's mostly sort of in the same realm. How do you get this? Great question. So (laughs) there is a Power Rangers Shattered Grid collection on Hoopla and available in stores. It has all the Mighty Morphin stuff. It has, so the Mighty Morphin issues, the Shattered Grid finale, and the free comic book day special. It does not have the annual or the GoGo Power Rangers issues, but you can grab those by getting volume three of GoGo Power Rangers and then the annual on its own, or it's in Lost Chronicles volume two with the free comic book day special. There's some overlap, but my suggestion would be, if you're reading on Hoopla, my plan is to (laughs) borrow... Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Shattered Grid Collection, Volume 3 of GoGo Power Rangers, and then the 2018 Annual on its own. Okay. And this is going to take us all throughout Power Rangers history. I'm very excited. I remember being very good. This will be my first time revisiting it. I'm excited. I'm just excited to whatever happens with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or Power Rangers comics generally. Like, it's all just been such a treat, and I'm excited to keep going. I'm so curious to hear how this all hits you. But thank you so much for listening. That This is another episode. You can follow us on social media, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Teach Me Sentai. You can email us at teachmesentai at gmail.com. Rate and review the show. That's really helpful. Tell your friends. That's all the business. So that just leaves us with one final question, which, as evidenced by this episode, I don't know if it's that relevant anymore. But anyway, John, if you were given a morpher today... By the basis of your outfit, what color ranger would you be? I think it's still relevant because this is one example of it not being relevant versus seasons and seasons of it being relevant, I will say. But I'm a black ranger today. It's the first shirt that I grabbed off the top of my drawer was black. And I think that that was, you know, the universe speaking through me. What about you? You know, I had the same experience, same experience this morning where I was like, I just have to grab a shirt and go because I was running late. And I am a white ranger. Ooh, Black Ranger, mm. White Ranger, chessboard. Yeah. That's nothing, but, you know, whatever. It could be. It was almost a white. The other one sort of in the drawer that I almost grabbed was a white shirt, but I am mm. one up for the black, so. It was definitely. I'm a moody, edgy boy. I am a goody two-shoes, obviously. Yes, yes. Yeah. The White yeah. Rangers are so often goody two-shoes. So often. Yeah, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, I will say, didn't mention this during the coverage, this phrase finally did appear in the comic in the Zordon issue, but may the power protect you. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Teach Me Sentai is produced and hosted by Natalie Bridgman and John McDonough. Our incredible music is by Christopher Bridgman, and our wonderful podcast art is by Yvonne14. You can find their work on Twitter at E-A-V-O-N-14 or on Instagram at Yvonne.14.art. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash teachmesentai, and new episodes come out every other Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.